Hello everyone. Before we get started, just wanted to give a quick disclaimer uh, that my audio quality in the next episode uh, is pretty trash. Uh, it seems as though it's possible that my microphone disconnected while we were uh, began recording, and we didn't notice it until we finished recording the episode. Uh, so I'd just like to apologize in advance uh, for sounding like a robot the entire episode. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I, we hope you enjoyed the content, and we'll make sure to continue to strive to improve our audio quality uh, as we continue to do episodes. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. All right. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Jared. It is an early morning, 9.45 a.m. It's really it's really not that early if we were not, uh, if we were not college kids. Yeah. I, my first class is at... 12.30, Monday, Wednesdays, 11 a.m., Tuesday, Thursdays. And so when I always wake up before 9, it just feels like, I don't know, it feels just like being a kid again and just like going to like waking up for camp and you have to like have be in the breakfast hall by like 7.30. It just uh, still hits the same. And do you, do you drink coffee, Luke? Too much, man. I, you know, I've been trying to cut back. I've been learning about the effects of caffeine and sleep because I've always complained for years, ah, oh, I sleep so bad. But I still get like nine hours of sleep. But it's totally because I drink like six cups of coffee a day. So mm. I uh, I haven't done that anymore though. This entire 2021, one of my resolutions was to uh, do better. So I'm like two or three cups. Do you drink coffee? I do not drink coffee unless I am in a different country. Interesting. And it's part of the culture there. Wow. Because I don't particularly like coffee. So I just deal with it. <laughs> Man, you're missing out. But you'll, you'll get all the energy you need from the conversation we're about to have today. We're going to have a very, very fun topic. I'm excited to, to share it with you. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what it is. Ever heard of a podcast where one of the hosts has no idea what's going on? Well, now you have. Welcome to Unprompted, the show where one of the hosts shows up completely unaware of the conversation topic for the episode. From technology to society to history, life, and more... Each episode features a unique topic, and the hosts unravel the details together using nothing but their background knowledge and past experiences. Hosted by Luke Bogus and Jared Arts, we hope you enjoy today's unprompted conversation. Welcome back to the Unprompted Podcast, where one of the hosts has no idea what's going on, and today that host is going to be Jared. My name is Luke, and we have a super fun topic to talk about. Are you excited? I'm, I'm about as ready as I can be in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, this one's interesting because I kind of only head, headline read enough to have this opinion. Um, but I think that's what's going to make for a really good podcast. I'm gonna try, we're going to try to keep it broad in a bunch of different areas. Um, and hopefully you, the listener, can maybe learn a thing or two. So the question I have, if you're ready to go. I'm always ready. So I am curious to hear about your opinions on collectibles. And particularly if collectibles is just a bubble waiting to pop because of the pandemic. So I'll talk about this a little bit with a few areas in mind. The first one is that I love like looking at like um, venture funding and like acquisitions and mergers. I just like kind of like follow a bunch of newsletters with information about that. And back in December, StockX, which is a really big collectible platform, raised like $300 million dollars. Um, in December to get to a $3 billion valuation. And what they essentially do is they're like the middleman between people selling collectibles and people buying collectibles. Okay. And so basically you send them, like when somebody buys your collectible, you would send StockX your collectible. They would like rate it and mint it and do whatever grade. And so that they're like the validator of, okay, this, these are authentic, you know, Jordan ones. And then people pay thousands of dollars for just like random collectibles, right? Through the roof because of the pandemic, like people, 
you know, obviously we all know this, this isn't like any novel thoughts, but like nobody's traveling and so they're spending money on, you know, new furniture. They're spending money on things around the house and buying a new house. Mm -hmm. um, but also they're spending that fun money rather than on entertainment on collectibles, on things like that, like, you know, that mint rookie card of LeBron James or like those really sick like Jordan 6s or whatever it might be. And I think this is also exacerbated through NFTs, uh, <laughs> non-fungible tokens. Are you familiar with the idea of NFTs? I, I am a little bit familiar. Yeah. So essentially, um, we can talk about the specifics later, but it's like if collectibles met Bitcoin and we just like, <laughs> yeah, right. And so if you think it's, it's, it's like we're kind of weird because NFTs, it's like it's a digital original. So like people can literally own original digital art. So like, I think the, what is it, like the Nyan cat, like the little cat like flies around and has like the rainbow behind it or whatever it's called. That literally sold the other day for like six figures, like the original yeah. meme. And it, it's weird because like obviously anyone can see the, the meme, but like you don't own the meme, right? Like mm -hmm. you can see a picture of the Mona Lisa, but like you don't own the Mona Lisa. So like that exact same mindset, except for the middleman, like how stock StockX is the middleman for collectibles, the blockchain is the middleman, this decentralized middleman for NFTs. But I just have this hunch. It's obviously blowing up. You know, StockX is raising a bunch of money. There's a business, I think, called like Collector's Universe that just sold for a lot of money. NFTs, like the highest NFT of like $60 million just sold. It's just insane. Um, I just have this hunch that once people can travel again, they're not going to waste their money on NFTs. Am I, am I off base with this? I don't think they're going to like waste money on collectibles. I think people are going to take that money that they had on store value items and they're going to travel the world once things are open. They're going to like just spend it on, you know, crazy vacations and, um, you know, more experiences like the millennials say they do mm -hmm. spend money on experiences. So I'm just kind of curious, is, uh, are collectibles a bubble? Yeah. So I think that there's a, in my opinion, there's a difference between collectibles, physical collectibles and NFTs. I think that, um, like, NFTs are just such an interesting topic. You know, it deserves many hours of conversation by itself. Um, and I think, but I think that collectibles are something that has always been a really big thing that, that you, you have seen people buying. Like, people have always collected things uh, from the beginning of history. And typically you might associate, like, a lot of collection uh, with people, like, middle-aged a little bit older, mm -hmm. uh, whereas you mentioned like millennials thus far have been very um, experience focused, uh, more interested in going on vacations and, and whatnot and less interested uh, in maybe like buying and collecting things. Uh, I guess I, I, I am interested to see whether it's a bubble. I don't know if I have like an extremely strong opinion on whether it will collapse um, because there's kind of two ways it could go. Either it could collapse once the world opens back up and and people do want to go on these crazy vacations like you mentioned, or we could see this being kind of like a, a shift in the way younger generations like millennials uh, and Gen Z uh, like view value in their lives. Mm. You know, we could see a shift where instead of striving for these experiences, which now uh, have been, we've seen are kind of, able to be taken away or the, the possibility of doing them is able to be taken away to kind of building up this these collections which define who we are as people you know i think that this is kind of almost an opposite or a 180 shift from what we saw you know when millennials experienced the 2008 financial crisis 
that kind of molded their view in the fact that, you know, physical items are, they're futile. They might be hard to get, get a hold of because you lose your job, you um, don't have the money to buy these physical items. Um, and so we can just focus as a generation on experiences and those experiences will define who we are. This is almost like a 180 shift where the pandemic has taken away the ability to gain experiences. And so the way that we define ourselves as a generation and as individuals is through these collections of objects. Um, and so I think that that's really, especially for the older members of the younger generation, mm. those millennials, I think that takes more of a form and, and will continue to take more of a form in physical collections. Uh, but the younger generation might be more inclined to buy digital collections uh, through NFTs and other means uh, just as a way of kind of defining themselves. You know, these are the things that I spent money on and I own uh, as opposed to these are the experiences that I spent money on, on on that define who I am. Yeah, and I mean, like the idea of store of value is not uh, revolutionary. Um, this topic was actually inspired by a blog I read by Mark Cuban. Um, it was, I think it was titled like, like the store of value generation is like kicking your ass and you don't even know it or something. It was like some edgy title. Um, and it was just like this book behind just like this idea of, you know, collectibles is not a new thing, but what is a new thing is this wave of digital collectors. And once, instead of trading, you know, the most historical trade of value we can think of is like gold and like silver. Mm-hmm. And basically we're just like swapping out gold and silver and then pawn shops with just like, digital images and gifts and videos and moments and then the blockchain is just the middleman. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how like people, it, it like exacerbates like how people that that's an interesting notion that you bring up about um, the way people define themselves by like what they collect. Like it was their experiences that like they posted about on social media and like, they, like their personality traits was like, I love to travel and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But now it's like, yeah, like I love LeBron James, and I actually own LeBron James's like you know, like crazy dunk at the Staples Center in July of 2019 or whatever it is. Because um, one of the most early movers, which has just been fascinating, is the NBA. <clears throat> I mean, we all know that the NBA has been having just like crazy financial troubles because of like you know the whole pandemic and the bubble. Like I think actually ended up losing them a lot of money, but obviously you know it was kind of a saving grace for people to have like live sports on. But um, they were one of the first movers, and I, and they have this like system called uh, NBA Top Shot, and they've already made. I think they just like opened business like maybe this year. It was like late twenty twenty or early twenty twenty one, but like they've already made two hundred fifty million dollars on just people's highlights. They're just like cutting up film and just like. It's nothing special. It's like they have a little graphic at the beginning that just says, like, who the player is and what the year was. They show the highlight, which is just, like, a clip from, like, the TV broadcast. And that's it. Like, that's literally it. It's just a clip from a highlight. And somebody just bought a LeBron James highlight for $200,000. And so I just, like, I don't know. For me, I just, I can't wrap my head around this idea that, like, you'd want to own something digital. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I... We'll eat my words in a few years and we'll be buying NFTs left and right. But I just like, for me, it's like if I'm going to collect something, if I want something to be a store of value, I find it like hard to think that it's just like in the cloud somewhere or that it's just like completely on my computer or on the web. Like if I want to have something a store of value, I would think mentally that like I want it to be like my car or I want it to be like my house or I want it to be like those rookie cars I have in the basement. Versus just like, oh, let me pull up this file where I have this, like, clip of this thing that I technically own. I own this moment in history. Like, that's just, like, 
I can't even like wrap my head around it. So mm-hmm. like, do you just have an itch to buy NFTs? Like, do you think that like you will just like not waste your money on just like really like collectible shoes or like collecting mugs or something? And in the future, like when tourists go to different countries, you're just going like, to be buying NFTs rather than like buying trinkets from like the like collectible <laughs> store? Yeah. So I guess um, I do collect things. I have a decent collection of, of old Macintosh computers. Uh so like I, I do, I am kind of a collector uh, in a way, uh, but I think that I'm not completely intrigued by NFTs. I'm not completely convinced. Uh, but you know, for the sake of the podcast, I'll play the devil's advocate here <laughs> uh, because it seems like you're not convinced. So um, you know, when we think about original art, especially a lot of these NFTs could be considered art. I think uh, when you buy a piece of art you typically aren't buying the art in a lot of ways. You know, you buy usually a print of the art. Sometimes you might buy an original of the art. Um, But rarely do you completely own that art. You know, usually the artist is able to make more prints of it if it's chosen to, uh, or if you completely commission a piece, maybe you own it. Um, But if we think about, like, classical art, let's say you want to buy... (laughs) For some reason, you were able to get the chance to buy, uh, like, take out of the wall the original Last Supper, Supper painting. And you were able to take it out of the, off the wall and, uh, or just take the wall and buy it. You're not buying that picture. Because you can get that picture, you could get that picture printed, you could get, you could get a copy of it. You're essentially buying the story. You're buying the certificate of authenticity mm. that says this is the original. Um, in any piece of art, in any major artifact, you almost are never actually buying the artifact. Because if you were buying the artifact, you could just buy a fake, and it would be fine. You're buying the certificate of authenticity. You're buying the story that this is what it is. And so in in a lot of ways, NFTs are, are no different than the way that we trade physical collectibles. And what we're saying is, you know, if I, I for example, I have a a Roman coin that my high school history teacher bought me from like uh, 230 AD. Mm. I honestly am not 100% sure if that Roman coin was made in 230 AD or if it was made (laughs) two years ago. Mm. But, you know, I can tell that story. I own that story that this is a Roman coin from 230 AD. If I had it authenticated by a professional, I would have maybe a certificate of authenticity that would back up my story. And so NFTs are the same way where, let's say you buy LeBron James, you know, crazy dunk from 2019, you aren't buying the dunk, clearly. Everyone can see that. But you're essentially buying the certificate kind of of authenticity that, like, this is the dunk. This is the official video of that moment sold to me by the NBA. You know, I kind of own, I own that moment and that story in history. And with like basketball shots, I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's very <laughs> clever by the NBA, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a little bit of a stretch. But if you buy maybe a an original art piece, uh, a true original art piece, not like that meme where the creator just like copy pasted <laughs> the GIF and and uh, and just changed it. It was made ten years ago. It's not the original. Mm-hmm. But if you buy a newly commissioned NFT piece by some up and coming artist or just indie artist, uh, that's the only one that maybe. It's gonna. They're not gonna put it out somewhere else, or maybe they do. But you own the original, the actual original, or an NFT album. I think that makes a lot of sense. That kind of 
aligns with the way collectibles work right now. Um, that being said, I'm not completely convinced just because I'm a kind of hands-on, like I like to have physical things, but you know, that's just my personal purpose. Yeah, you're right. It's huge for the creator economy because, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite websites is Unsplash, which is just basically this, like, royalty-free image area where you can look up any image you want, download it, and then give just, like, um, attributes to the to the original creator. And so, like, I mean, you, we've seen this way for the last, like, 10 years where, like, photographers are just being screwed because, like, to get seen, you have to give out your photography for free or royalty-free so that you can, like, build a rapport. Mm -hmm. For music, like, I mean, it used to be that you used to make so much money off of just, like, CD sales, but now it's, like, if you don't tour, you're screwed because you're only going to make, like, one hundredth of what you used to do um, from CD sales as you do on streaming platforms and on Spotify. So you have to do a YouTube. You have to tour. You have to sell merch. And so, yeah, this is, like, it's, you're right. It's huge for, like, the indie creator economy, but I guess the thing that I'm nervous about is, and granted, this is just, like, totally speculative, but, like, you know, if people are, like, buying up all these, like, original GIFs and, like, original videos and original highlights, like, are we going to have, like, a ownership problem? Are we going to have, like, a copyright problem? Are we going to have an IP problem to where, you know, man, like, like I just mentioned earlier, somebody, like, owns the original, like, Nyan Cat. So if I use the GIF of a Nyan Cat, like, do you think 10 years down the road the owner's going to be like, I own that, I'm going to sue you? Um, so I... I'm not 100% on this. You know, I've listened to a few podcasts on NFTs. Um, and I don't believe you get ownership of the work of art. Mm. I think you get ownership of the NFT. Um, and I might be wrong on this. So if any of our billions of listeners would be able to write <laughs> in and, and, you know, correct us. B, with a B, billions with a B, B. Big B. Uh, <laughs> is that you're essentially, you know, you're buying... In the same way that if you bought you bought the original Mona Lisa, you can't really sue anyone for painting a, a rendition of the Mona Lisa or, or a print of the Mona Lisa. Uh, like, you own the certificate of authenticity, you own that original moment, I guess, or that story, but you don't really own the piece. Mm. Uh, you know, you didn't buy the IP. It's a good just point. Bought, you just bought... The, the work, the piece of art, but not the IP. That's a similar thing, I guess, if you, like, you know, you buy a copy of Microsoft Word. You you own the copy of Microsoft Word, but you don't earn my own Microsoft Word. I think it's a similar thing to that. Uh, you know, it's you know, it's anything, I think, with collectibles. If you buy an original 19, uh, you know, 1927 Ford Model T, Ford can't sue you and say, we own Model T. Yep. I mean... It's, it's like a different thing. I think it's a different thing between IP and collectibles. In terms of yeah, that, that's fair. Because it's like, yeah, if I go to the Louvre and take a picture of the Mona Lisa, like, I mean, I can use that picture of the Mona Lisa really wherever I want. Um, I don't have to, like, accredit the Louvre and, like, the, it's like the Republic of France or whatever they are. Like, whoever, <laughs> is it like the French government owns the Mona Lisa or something, I think? I uh, think so. But... So it's like, yeah, you don't have to accredit, like, them to, like, <laughs> do that. That, that. That's a good point. But, yeah, I think that was, like, one of the biggest things I was just, like, really, like, just thinking a lot about is just, like, you know, it sounds great for, like, local, like, it, like we talked about, like, indie creators and indie artists, but, like, when you start to, like, actually sell every moment, it just kind of gets into this weird section of just, yeah, like, like who, who owns what? I mean, I know there was, like, a big, uh, a while ago, Instagram had this huge, um, I don't know if it ever actually ended up going through, but I just read this a couple, it was, like, a year ago now, maybe, um, to, like, if you embed... Instagram on 
blog posts, it's like the author either like has the rights to like some of like the money generated from the blog post or some, it was some like if you embed certain like Instagram posts within other blog posts is like the author like of the Instagram post like has the right to like say no or like basically you have to get approval from the creator on Instagram before you can include it somewhere. So it's like, that's just weird. Cause you think like, ah, oh, it's a public space. Like I'm yeah. just going to like grab it and just put it here. Like if I want to like feature a Twitter post like on like my newsletter or something like I can just do that like right now but like mm-hmm. 10 years from now while t- like Twitter is like moving more towards super followers and moving more towards like paying creators like is there going to be like a weird like wall of like yeah if you want to use it outside you have, to, you have to pay Twitter you have to pay the creator or it's just not possible at all it's the same thing that happened with NFTs where it's like sure like you can take a screenshot of the gif but, like if you're going to like use the actual gif do you think that like gif like I think gifly or whatever the like what's the one that Facebook just bought the GIF, uh, GIF platform. Jiffy? Giffy? Yeah, something like that. But, like, yeah. do you think that, like, they're going to have to strike deals with the original owners of the GIF to, like, include them on their platform for other people to use? Or can they just, like, steal, quote-unquote, screenshots of the original? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just curious if it'll become just, like, a huge money play in 15 years. We're like, hey, like, NBA, you just posted this highlight on, like, your YouTube video. I actually own that highlight mm-hmm. on Top Shot. So you're going to have to pay me royalties for the number of views that you get because I own this original moment in history. Yeah. I, I don't I don't see that as far-fetched. Do you? So I think that it will... I kind of agree that there will be something along those lines, uh, but I think it will be separate than NFTs. I think NFTs is kind of the start of, of, a, of a change in the way that we talk about digital ownership mm. uh, because at the moment there's... We have very little way of regulating digital ownership. Um, I think that you can have, you know, copyrights and source code. You can, you know, have terms of service agreements uh, where you, you restrict people from selling or using in certain ways. But we don't really have a way, a you know, a, like a non-fungible token, you know, a, a blockchain solution, a, a, a way to say, say and verify this is owned by someone. Uh, and so I think that we're going to see a shift where NFTs are become a kind of a model uh, for true digital ownership. Because I, like, I could be wrong about this uh, from what I know about NFTs, but they're not ownership of the of the actual item mm-hmm. or the moment. They're essentially ownership of the NFT. They're ownership of the certificate of authenticity. Um, but you can still they can be posted everywhere else. You're not you don't like own the IP yet. I think that that will change though. Uh, because it's it's kind of like a, a necessary thing to uh, to kind of continue supporting like a digital economy is to make sure that we have set in place ways of protecting people's work so that large companies like Facebook don't just steal it. True. Um, and so I think we'll set up almost a new system, uh, like a, a new digital patent copyright. Uh, blockchain-based solution that just takes in, you you make something and you register this as my thing. And anyone, you know, you can prove that if someone uses this 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 item that it would be, um, it would be like a, a overreach of their their rights and they took your your work unless they paid for it in some way. It's really difficult with digital items because like you can always take like a screen recording or something, mm-hmm. but. I think that we're going to move towards a system like that where we we have proper avenues of ownership uh, and use terms 
for digital items in a similar way that we have with physical ones. Yeah, and it, I guess that whole thing makes me think about, yeah, I guess you don't technically own it. You own the FT, not the original item. That makes sense, and that's where I think there's an interesting discrepancy between like the way we know collectibles now and the way that NFTs are and or the way they're going is that you know there are only seven original Jordan 1s. I don't know a lot about shoes, but let's just <laughs> say, right? And so if I buy that pair of Jordan 1s, I'm going to put them on my shelf. I have them, you don't. There's no way that you could even represent this idea of what I have other than taking a picture of it on your phone and showing your friends or posting it online, right? Like I physically own it. It's sitting in my garage. Like I, I have it. Mm-hmm. But with NFTs, there's no sense of like I have it, right? Like you said, you own the NFT, not the moment. But like the moment for shoes is like literally the shoes sitting on my shelf right now. But like the moment for NFTs is like you own the NFT of the moment, not of the moment itself. And so I think what's really interesting is that this is the first time in the digital world where we have this notion of scarcity. Mm-hmm. When, when you think digital, you think infinite. Digi- like infinite information, infinite access with you know places like Robin Hood. Sure, it gives you a medium to a place that is finite mm-hmm. of the stock market, but it's theoretically infinite. You just have instant access whenever you want. But with NFTs and kind of with the blockchain in general, and like Bitcoin's kind of reaching this area where there's only so much to mine and everything, but it's the same thing. Like, for the first time in the digital world, there is a, there's a scarce resource in the digital world. But at the same time, it's infinite because you can screenshot it and share it and post it anywhere. But again, you don't own the original thing. It's like there is a finite, scarce resource of like that moment, that NBA top shot, or like that $60 million Beeple <laughs> creation <laughs> that he just sold. Like it's the original. You can screenshot it. I've seen it online. Like I've gotten the same effect of it because I've seen it on Twitter in high resolution. Like you'd think that'd be the same aura, but somebody like wants to own that because like, it's this idea of like scarcity. I have it. You don't. And so I'm sure 10 years from now, the owner is going to, or even sooner, the owner is going to probably try to turn it around and try to auction it off and sell it for hundred million plus. And so it's interesting because all of a sudden like NFTs gives us this avenue for, yeah, controlling a digital economy because now all of a sudden there's a digital resource that is scarce. Yeah. And I th- at first I'd like to disagree about your Jordan comment is that, you you put in your original Jordan 1s. Again, I don't know anything about shoes either. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you putting those on the shelf, I mean, you own the shoes, sure. But you really own the story. You really own the certificate of authenticity. Mm. Your Jordan 1s, original Jordan 1s, are nothing without an expert in a certificate that says these are original Jordan 1s. Because anyone could get a fake pair of Jordan 1s that look exactly the same. In all reality, might function exactly the same. You're not going to wear them anyway. And they could say these are original Jordan 1s. And if they just got their hands on a true original certificate of authenticity, then their story will be as powerful as your story. And so I think that in in, in a way, the the NFTs are, are, are in that way at least a lot like physical items where you're saying... Yeah, sure, there might be a lot more other fake Jordan 1s out there. There might be a lot of fake uh, rainbow cat memes. But this is the real one. This mm-hmm. is this is the one that I own. Um, and so I'd like to I, I just push back on that. Then I completely forgot <laughs> the, the end of your comment. Uh, so I guess if you wanted to read Well, yeah, it was just this notion of scarcity. But I, 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 will, I will say that that's super interesting about, like, the whole story. I mean, like... 
not to derail this conversation too much because I want to I want to keep it on mm-hmm. NFTs and collectibles. But like you think about like apparel, or you think about just like you know Supreme, and you think about um, just like really high luxury brands. Um, you know, Supreme makes a hundred of the shirts. Like just there's a hundred editions, but like people pony up thousands of dollars for you know a shirt or like a Gucci belt. There's only so many, and like you know you're gonna pony up twenty five hundred dollars for the Gucci belt, like. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, do you do you really think it's I own the story when it comes to NFTs? I understand the idea mm-hmm. of like the Roman coin, you got yeah. it from your history. Like that's deep, that's meaningful, that's personal, right? Mm-hmm. And like anything that my like my dad passes down from generation to generation, sure. But if I'm just like, you know, chilling on eBay and I want to buy a rookie card, mm-hmm. how often do you think people buy rookie cards because they're my favorite player? I've, I saw them live in, like, the 1997, like, NBA Finals. Like, mm-hmm. I just – I've watched them for years. I'm attached to the story versus I'm buying it because this is a store of value. Mm-hmm. And millennials, stock, stocks aren't as sexy. ETFs aren't as sexy. So I'm going to deploy that money in something that I hope I'm going to hold on to. And in years from now, I can sell it for more. So do you think that collectibles, the rise of collectibles, is driven by this idea of meaningless, like meaningful, I want to support indie artists – I have this awesome story about this NFT, like whatever it is, or do you think it's, I'm buying this thing because mm-hmm. I think in four years I can sell it for more and it's totally in like value making more money play. Well, I think those are the exact same thing mm. because think about your example of a rookie baseball card. The reason your rookie baseball card might increase in value is because someone went to the game, saw the game, has a deep personal connection with that player and would pay money to get access to your card. So I think that whenever you look at like store values or value stores, it's if, especially with collectibles, they have the value because there's a story connected to it. Mm -hmm. If you had a, you know, if I printed a baseball card of myself, my mom might pay for it, but no one else would. So it wouldn't be a good store of value. Uh, whereas if you have a Babe Ruth baseball card, so many people have some connection to it or there's such a large story around that player that it, it would be an incredible uh, store of value. It would, it would increase in value as time goes on because you know, he's the original great. Um, and so it would be a great store of value. So I guess the way I see it is that it's true. I think that a lot of millennials are looking towards these collectibles as a way of making like an investment. But the reason that investment is possible is because all of these collectibles have stories that make them valuable. I don't think that anything, very few things really have intrinsic value, like not even the U.S. dollar. Mm. The U.S. dollar is valuable because there's a story around it that says it's valuable. And so I think it's a similar thing with these collectibles um, where the the story drives the investment, uh, the investment uh, ability. Uh, for millennials and other people to buy them and make money off them later. Mm. So shifting ideas a little bit. Another reason why I was like really excited to talk about this is because I had an assignment in a class recently that was go to the museum on campus. We have the Sheldon Art Museum uh, and just go there and it's for a, a user interface design class. And it was find like an art piece and just get inspired by it and like talk about the history and talk about just like I guess like what – I guess inspired you by it, talk about some design principles that we learned in class, whatever. So the professor said there are two options. You can either 
go to the Sheldon Museum physically in person, or because of COVID, Sheldon has developed a virtual museum online where they have, I can't remember if it was their art pieces that they owned in the museum that they just like took pictures of and put it online, or if they have digital only experiences. And so it's kind of cool. It's like this like Sheldon art website, like you walk in virtually and like there's like a fake art gallery and you like, it's like the, have you ever toured apartments like virtually with the Matterport? It's like the exact same thing. Like you just like move around and you look at pictures. So it makes you wonder, will there be this idea of like NFT museums? Like where there'll be like entities that just buy up NFTs and just like display them on virtual museums. But the counter to that is that I don't know the legality behind this, but I assume I can't walk into the Sheldon, take pictures of all their exhibits, and then just put up a tent outside and just have pictures of their exhibits mm-hmm. and just like also charge money, right? But with the digital NFTs, what's stopping me from, okay, this entity is going to have this like NFT digital museum. Why can't I just like screenshot all the images in the NFTs or, or find copies of the gifts that are in the NFT museum and set up shop and do the exact same thing? Are there any like restrictions to that and first off let's just start at square one do you think nft museums are a thing do you think that there will be entities that bulk buy nfts to become like you know like the like how the louvre is just like a leader in museums mm-hmm. will there be some like company or leader in like nft creation and they have uh, thousands of exhibits on display at this virtual mm-hmm. art gallery or like what what's what's the future of it is it going to be completely decentralized forever they're just gonna be collectors mm-hmm. are there gonna be entities that start like re-centralize this kind of stuff yes i mean i guess i think that so long as NFTs don't crash, which in all reality, I feel like they will not retain their current level of popularity. Um, I think there, it's definitely possible that entities buy them up and make some sort of digital museum because they do that in the physical world. So if we as a society come to accept NFTs and digital goods as equal and intrinsic value to physical goods, and the stories can be just as powerful then I think that it makes sense that you would open up some sort of museum to, to deal with that, uh, to deal with that, people wanting to experience those stories. There is a challenge, I think, the same thing you mentioned, of someone just screenshotting them, or the fact that a lot of these NFTs you can just go see online without having to go to some museum. Uh, but I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of like that already. Like, a lot of art you can just look up online. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you can see a picture of the Mona Lisa not in the Louvre doesn't stop millions of people from going to see it every year. You know, it's possible, and I don't see myself ever being this way, that people would be drawn to see, quote-unquote, the original virtual digital piece instead of just a copy on some social media. I mean, I, I struggle myself to see that being a thing i i see there's a there's a definite draw towards seeing the the you know the canvas uh that a renaissance painter painted on hundreds of years ago you see the you know the physical item it's it's less um it makes a little less sense to me to go to see that in a museum a digital piece in a museum Mm -hmm. but maybe you know future generations will have a completely different opinion we might be biased based on the world that we grew up in um, but I think that, you know, like legality wise, sure. I think that the, what would stop people from doing that though, is if it's illegal, like if, if these people actually own the items, for example, or if they have a terms of service that says you can't, you can't take screenshots or pictures, then if someone tried to set up a separate shop, then 
maybe it would be illegal in the same way that if you take pictures of the the Sheldon and then set it up somewhere, maybe that would be illegal and you'd get in trouble if you they found out about it. Um, but I don't know. I think that's just an interesting concept of like, uh, will people be willing to actually go and see these? I, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah, because it's because I obviously don't know the legality, but like, yeah, if I take pictures of you know art exhibits at random places, it and if I have it on my phone for personal use, it's whatever. But yeah, setting it up for like like a, a sub museum of pictures of everything in the Louvre, like obviously like the the creators or rather the the visitors are gonna know like well those are just pictures of the originals, right? Like whatever. With NFTs, like there are, there is no concept of like, like on now that somebody knows like the nine cat NFT, like, or the, the meme, not every single gift that's going to be used is not going to have like a watermark over it that says like Joe owns this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a copy of it, but it's like replication, I guess is easy. Sure. Blockchain is like the validator and the middleman between what's like authentic and what's not. But like, at the end of the day, it's like you and I as like users, like maybe the terms of services, you can't screenshot this, but like that, that goes back to my original question. If the terms of services, you can't screenshot this NFT because I own it. Well, then what's stopping me posting that on Twitter? Am I going to get in trouble for that? Mm-hmm. Or they're like the Giftly, like if somebody like includes that original GIF um, in this like gift finding service, is there going to be like legal issues or is there going to be royalties that you're going to have to pay these original owners of the NFTs? So mm-hmm. um I'm just curious, like, what's next, I guess, for NFT. I mean, I, I'm curious, like, you know, baseball cards, I guess, has always just been kind of, like, a personal thing. Like, sh- there's, like, conventions, and then you trade, and you sell, and you have, like, this entire, like, room at your house. Like, the people, like, like, go nuts with it. But, like, I guess what's the equivalent of, like, the NFT? is Like, are there going to be, like, NFT conventions where you're, like, buying and selling cards or, or NFTs? And are you going to have, like, yeah, like, a like online store and, like, an online museum of, like, showcase your NFTs at NF- this NFT website? That's a good startup idea, um, and if you take that idea, I'm going to sue you. Uh, but yeah, I'm just curious, like, what's next? Like, having just a folder of NFTs on your on your like home screen is boring. So, like, mm-hmm. is it a museum? Is it like a digital display case? Is it like um, I saw this startup the other day that's like basically cr- using like what they'll do is you send them the NFT that you got, and they they'll send you like this tablet that like is like it's like inside of like this glass and it's like a way that like they recursively loops the video of your NFT and you can put it on your wall. So then it's taking something digital and putting it back to being physical, which is so funny, but it's like, yeah, it's like, what's next? Like, I think the only way that it continues to go forward is if there's ways to prove that I own it. Cause that's what drives the creator economy. It's like, I tell you like, Hey, I own the original Jordans. Hey, like I have a thousand uh, Luca rookie cards and they're going to go for so much money in a few years mm-hmm. but with NFTs. There's no ways to brag about it. That's what yeah. people want. People want to brag and like showcase like, Hey, I own this. So there has to be a way to like to prove to people that like, yeah, I own this because if you can't prove that you own, you were the buyer of the $60 million people print like painting. Well, it's just human nature to want to brag about it and showcase mm-hmm. it. So I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious what's next for NFTs. Um, and so I, I really, really appreciate the conversation. This was, this was super fun. I think I, I was, I'm really glad with how it turned out because I, yeah, I prepared minimally just from like podcasts I listened to and I like, you know, have like an article or two that I wanted to reference, but, um, that was a good conversation. What'd you think? I, I really enjoyed it. I think that, you know, we'll have to revisit this in two years yes. and see whether there are no NFTs left or whether they're the, the, uh, the, largest part of the United States economy. <laughs> uh, I think that it's, it'll be interesting to see, uh, see where it goes. I mean, I, I'm, I really have no idea. It could go a lot of different ways. So, uh, but it was exciting to talk about it. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. So we are going to end uh, the podcast, but we have basically two recurring segments that is not really quite recurring because we didn't do it last time, but we're going to try to do it this time, is that uh, I'm going to try to give a rapid-fire question to Jared, and then Jared's going to end us off with a really fun history fact. So my rapid-fire question to you is, yeah, if you could, uh, when do you think you're going to own your first NFT? Put, Put a date on it. Um, I would say that I will never own an NFT. Wow, okay. Um, but since that's kind of wiggling out of the question, uh, I would say that I guess maybe I will buy an NFT as a joke or off a bet in the next five years. Well, I would not be surprised if I ended 2021 with, with an NFT. What, I, what NFT would it be? I, that's a good question. I've honestly thought about some of the NBA top shots. I like watching NBA, but I feel like I would want to own, like, I wouldn't own, like, a player I love to watch. I'd probably just, like, own one just to say I own one. Like, mm-hmm. kind of like, I guess, the meme style, but not, like, I don't know. I'd be I'd be surprised if I didn't purchase one in 2021, even after 40 straight minutes of kind of shitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a, just, you don't have to agree with where it's going to get in on the hype. <laughs> That's a reason why I own GameStop. <laughs> yes, Game Stonk, baby. Yeah, Game Stonk. Uh, so for history fact, uh, you know, I just I started thinking about what history fact to uh, give about, you know, a minute and a half ago, uh, <laughs> and so I, I think that I have I have two somewhat related history facts. Uh, I decided to go, uh, you know, kind of medieval Russian uh, history facts. Exciting. So. Uh, the first one is courtesy of Time Suck, which is a great podcast. Uh, if you have time to, to listen to that uh, history podcast, is you know in the uh, I believe it was like in the 1100s or, or you know back you know early late medieval period, kind of early late medieval, is uh, that Moscow burned down like like 11 times in the span of like 150 or 200 years. Like, wow. like, the entire city almost burned down, like, 11 times. Like, every, like, 20 years, like, all of Moscow would just burn down. Wow. Just, like, you know, in, in, just, like, spontaneously, like, <laughs> someone would light a fire and, like, they just didn't learn. Like, every every 20 years, it's just like, oh, uh, here we go again. And then the whole city was gone. Um, and, like, the, the main noble family that dealt with contracting and building... Uh, lived on estates outside of the city. So Shocker. It's a little bit suspicious. <laughs> uh, the second fact related is that uh, there was one, forgot the name of the battle, uh, between the Mongols and the Russians, I believe it was in the, the 13th century perhaps, where they just stood for days and stared at each other. <laughs> and then essentially they both decided that it wasn't worth fighting and then they turned around and went home. And it's considered a pretty big victory for the Russians, the fact that the Mongols didn't fight and kill them uh, because the Mongols were doing that for many hundreds of years. Wow. So, uh, a victory of a yeah, staring contest. They, you know, perhaps the first recorded victory of a large-scale staring contest and the <laughs> fact that uh, Moscow only recently has learned how to not burn down. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think uh, that kind of uh, sums up the podcast for this week. Um we would love any feedback if you have it. Uh, Luke, where can people reach out to you? Yeah, you can DM me on Twitter, at Luke Bogus, L-U-K-E-B-O-G-U-S. Uh, we actually, this was kind of inspired from a feedback we did have from a listener about 
wanting to learn more. And so, Connor, thanks for thanks for listening. If you listen to this far again, uh, <laughs> I owe you a coffee. So, no, yeah, appreciate it. We always we take the feedback seriously. Uh, this is obviously something we do for fun. I mean, we're we're doing this because we want to like hang out. But at the same time, like if we are going to post it somewhere, we want people to find value in listening to it. So, uh, yeah, please reach out with any uh, feedback or thoughts you have. Yeah, and you can reach out. Can't reach out to me because uh, I don't have Twitter. Uh, and. Uh, yeah, make sure to reach out if you have comments. Thanks so much for listening. If you've made it this far, um, clearly don't have too much going on. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're happy that you listened um, and uh, excited for the conversation next week. Let's do it. Peace.